Everybody's groaning right now. They're going to talk on eldership. Yeah, I know. I haven't yeah, heard of anything right. so boring in all my life. I know, exactly. <laughs> hey, what an amazing morning it's been. It's been really cool. Why don't we just pray as we, um, before we start and introduce things. Lord, we just thank you for what you've been teaching us today, Lord. What a, what a sense of um, the fact that you're the God of this whole world. As we've thought about the different nations, Lord, that's humbled us. And so, Lord, we're here just representing different backgrounds, different cultures, but here in unity because we're here in you. So, Lord, as we just um, share together now and, and just talk, we pray, Lord, that you'll teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Hey, you know what? I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard a, a message on what eldership and leadership is in church? Who has ever sat through a message about that? It's not kind of like the topic you're normally like, yeah, let's talk about leadership in the church. But you know, what was interesting is I was thinking about a couple of days ago, is that every one of you has chosen not only to enter the family of God, but you've chosen to enter into a local community of believers, which is us here, Northern Hills. And it's a massive part of your life, isn't it? But have you ever paused to ask the question, I give so much into this, this community. How is it governed? How should it be governed? What does God say about leadership in a church? What does God say about our roles in a church? It's a big question, isn't it? And it, there's many different models. And so what Simon and I are going to do today is we're just going to have a bit of a, a Q&A back and forward, and we'd love to ask you guys some questions and take questions as well around what does is, what is leadership and eldership look like in Northern Hills, but also what does the Bible say about it? And in a few weeks' time, what we'd like to do is there's a few guys that we'd like to put forward to, to all of you as potential people, uh, as being elders. You might know that we have a, we call it a development team, and every, every once in a while we get together and we just learn about, about leadership, we share together, and some guys on that team, um, we've been working through a process with them, and we'd love to put them forward as potential people for you guys to pray about and ask the question, are these guys ready to be elders. So we thought, well, before we do that, we actually need to talk a little bit about leadership in church. So as we talk about it today, we're not just talking about eldership, and Simon, myself, and Eric, who can't be here today, the, the three elders, but we're also talking about leadership, and uh, there's a lot of people in, in this congregation who are leading different ministries. So that's kind of an intro, Simon. Do you want to kick us off with a bit more of an intro of, of what this is all about today? You know, everything in the Old Testament was fulfilled perfectly in the New Testament through what Jesus did. Amen? And we can learn a lot through looking at the Old Testament. Um, do you know that in the Old Testament, there were elders? Why don't we just have a look in our Bibles? I want to take us through a few scriptures this morning. And I'm going to have some people that can read out for us some verses. Because I think some people think, well, elders just sort of popped up in the New Testament. No, this is a concept that's been around for a very long time. It's been modified by what Jesus has done. But let's, can we start by looking at Exodus chapter 12, verse 21? This is what I'm going to call an example of where eldership is found in the Bible pre sort of captivity of Israel, pre the Babylonian time, going back to the time of Moses. Who's got Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, and who can read it out for us in a loud voice? Go, Anika. 
So there you have an example of Moses using the elders within the context of the people of Israel. So elders had an important role back in the Old Testament. Now let's have a look at what I call the post-captivity after the Israelites had come back from the land of Babylon. In the book of Ezra, chapter 6, Ezra chapter 6 and verse 7, who's got that one for us? Any volunteers? Yes, Peter. Right, so even after the Jews came back to the land, eldership was still there. Now, what about the time of Jesus? Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. Has someone got Matthew chapter 21 and verse 23? Yes, Josh. Okay, so there's Jesus, and he's interacting with the elders that were in place even in his time. Now, there were three interesting groups in the Old Testament. There were the elders, there were the priests, and there were the prophets. And all of those were carried on into the New Testament, except for one. Well, it is as a role, but it's not for one person except for Jesus. And what is that? The role of priest. Jesus is the high priest. He is the one mediator between God and man. So we don't have priests anymore, Mark. That's very important. A lot of churches get that wrong. They still have a role of priest. But in the New Testament, you don't have that. Jesus established through the apostles, the elders, Mm. and also prophets. And you can read that in Ephesians chapter 4. So just on that, can we look at another verse just to pause? Yes. Can someone look up 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 and put your hand up when you've got it, when you're ready to read it for me? That's, that's right. Go Ryan. So hands up if you're a priest today. There you go. Wow. And, and you know that we, we say often, don't we, that in this church we believe in the, in the priesthood of all believers. I think you probably get sick of us saying that. But we all are priests. And there's only one high priest. Who was it, Simon? The Lord Jesus. And we are the priesthood. He is the, and this is very precious. Do you remember that in the Old Testament, the great, the high priest, there was only one, He would go in to the Holy of Holies once a year in fear and trepidation, and he would offer um, up a sacrifice for the sin of the people. But it says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the great high priest, and he went into the tabernacle of heaven. And he offered himself as the sacrifice for us. And then he sat down, which, of course, the priest was not allowed to do. There's no seats in the tabernacle. They weren't allowed to sit down. But Jesus finished his work, so he sat down. So he is the high priest, and we are the priesthood, and we offer his sacrifice back to God as worship. Does that make sense? So just trying to tie in Old Testament and New. So this concept of eldership has been around for a very, very long time. 
We find it in the Old Testament, and we find its ultimate fulfillment as God intended it in the New Testament. You know, it's it's always interests me that you have many branches of Christianity that uh, create, I guess you could say, a, a gathering of believers, and they do things a certain way. And there's nothing wrong with stylistic differences. Don't get me wrong; that's that's fine. But we often see these models, though, in churches that have nothing to do with the way God intended them to be. And it astounds me that if you're going to if you're going to accept the Word of God, you've got to accept the whole lot. And if you start adding stuff in that's not there, shouldn't be there, you're going down paths that are going to mess you up. For example, and I might offend someone saying this, but there are some denominations that have someone who runs the church. You know what they call it? Sometimes they call it a vicar. Do you know what the word vicar means? Vicar is the word vicarious. Has anyone not heard of that word before? Vicarious means through me. Think about that. So when someone is called a vicar, they are essentially saying, you come to God through me. Whoa, Simon just read about the high priest. My goodness, that entire entire thought process of calling someone a vicar or a father is completely against the Bible. So what we want to talk about today is let's forget all the models that you've ever heard about or ever thought about church. What does the Bible say? Because I'll tell you what it says in a summary before we really get into it. It says that in every church, God appoints elders. And we're going to find out that the pastor, the word pastor, by the way, is only used once in the entire Bible. Think about that. And the only context it's ever used is when it says a pastor and elder are the same thing. It's got your mind racing a little bit now, hasn't it? Going, what? (laughs) Wait a minute. Isn't the new way of doing things having pastors? Nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. But let's not confuse what we're talking about and how church is supposed to run. So, have I upset enough people yet? Can we get into a bit more? Well, yeah, can I, can <laughs> I continue upsetting people for a bit longer? Yeah. Because I think it's important that we upset people before yeah, we put absolutely. their minds at ease. Yeah, that's right. um, Jesus took these titles incredibly seriously. And if you turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is saying something here about the order of things, and he is talking about the, the priests of his day. And um, he starts in chapter 23, verse 1. He says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. That's a problem, isn't it, when people don't practice what they preach, especially in leadership. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, and they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. We see a lot of that today in, in, in churches, unfortunately, all around the world. They make their, their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. Now listen to what Jesus says. But you are not to be called rabbi, which means teacher. Be very careful. You know, there was a movement a number of years ago when my father was an elder of a church we used to go to called the, um, the shepherding movement, sometimes called the heavy shepherding movement, where people would come to, to dad because they thought he was a great elder, which he was, and they said, would you be my teacher? Would you be my shepherd? Would you be this and that, my personal? And he said, I don't, I don't see that in Scripture. 
um, you have a relationship with the Lord. I'm here to shepherd and to pastor this church and be an elder, but you have a responsibility for your relationship directly with God. Be very careful that you don't start selecting a person to be a ruler over your life. So Jesus says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you only have one master. Who's that? Jesus. And you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father. Now, to those who may have come out of the Roman Catholic Church, it's always I found it very amusing that here you have a direct command from the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 not to call any man father, and yet you have a whole denomination of the church that calls all of their ministers, full-time ministers, father. Now, I'm sorry, but we have to reconcile this stuff with the Word of God. Our practice has to come in line with the Word of God. So, do not call anyone father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, and he is the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. Um, and I just, sorry, I just want to finish um, by picking up on what Mark said in relation to this whole idea of vicarious, um, the one who stands in place of someone. Um, the Bible is very clear that we're not to have anyone else to be a mediator between us and God except for Jesus. Can we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. Has someone got that for us and can read it out aloud? Yes, William. Right. So there's no other, there's no vicar, there's only one vicar, one person who meets between you and God, and his name is Jesus Christ. So we've got that one cleared up? I think we've done all the negatives now. <laughs> Time for the positives. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you know, Simon, before we get on to talking a bit more about eldership, I thought it'd be useful if we, we cover off what is a church, because Eldership only has relevance in the context of, of a church, but what is a church? Throw me some ideas. What do we mean when we use the word church? Gathering of believers? Yep. <laughs> well, <Mike> smoke machines. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, that's Classic. true in a lot of cases. Awesome. <laughs> yep. Any other thoughts? Smoke machines and laser lights, yeah. Place of worship, yep. Household. A what? Household, Household. Yep. yes. Yep. So, that's, they're all good thoughts, and, and here's some verses that we can think about. The word church in the Bible actually comes from the word ecclesia. Did you know that? It comes from the word ecclesia, which means called out company or assembly. A called out company or assembly get that? We're called out of the world, aren't we? We're called out of the world. And the interesting thing is where, wherever it is used in the Bible, it never refers to a building. Did you know that? Mm. We're, we easily fall into that trap, don't we? Is we're going to church. Which church do you go to? We, we often think of buildings. It never ever mentions a building. This just happens to be a place that we meet in, but it's, this is not the church. We're the church, mm. aren't we? And the three ways that we read about the, um, the word church or ecclesia in the Bible is, first of all, as the body of Christ, it's the church of a local group of believers. This, Northern Hills, is a church in that sense. It's a local body of believers. But the second one is, is it actually refers to individual believers. 
Did you realize that your body is, itself is a, a, is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And finally, it, it is also is, um, used to refer to the entire world of believers who are in Christ, in the body of Christ. That's what we talk about when we talk about church. We should say that we've prepared some notes here, and we're going to give these to Ryan probably and get these put up on the website. If you want to look, we've got all the scripture references today, so you're probably taking notes. But if you want to have the full uh, notes, um, we can give those to you because there's scriptures that support everything that Mark's just said. It's interesting, if you go to the book of Revelation in chapter 3, maybe just turn that up real quick. Um, Jesus, uh, through the apostle John, writes letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and he actually writes to each church in its own right. And you can find that in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. For example, if you go to chapter 2 of verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church at Ephesus write. Now, by the way, a lot of the words that we have in the, in the English, we sort of sometimes don't understand what is really being said. For example, the word angel. The word angel is the word angelos in the Bible, which means a messenger, right? A messenger. So we refer to the angels that come from heaven, and there are various different types of angels, but they're all referred as a group, as angels, as messengers of God. Do you know that Jesus is referred to, to as a great messenger? He's a great apostle, and he's referred in the Old Testament as the angel, with a capital T, of the Lord. He is the great messenger from God. Interesting, isn't it? Some people don't realize that. And here, it's referring to people. It's referring to the pastors or the leaders of those churches. And Jesus is saying to John, write to the messenger of that church so he can take this letter and give it to his, his, his local church. It's interesting, isn't it? And so Jesus refers to the church in Ephesus, the church at Philadelphia, the church at Sardis, the church at Laodicea. So even Jesus recognizes that you've got the global church, but you've also got the local church. And so God can give a message to the church at Northern Hills. I love it. You know, I've often thought when, when Jesus was leaving this earth, just picture what he was leaving. He had a bunch of guys who had left him who, who were real losers, actually. <laughs> and, you know, not a great state to leave them in. They weren't scholars. They weren't any of that kind of thing. And yet he said he was going to build his church, his body of believers. Well, what a mission. And so the question is, how did he go about doing that? Because the model that he introduced is the model that we should see right throughout the world today, but we don't. But we want to be honorable to that, especially in Northern Hills. And part of that was that he appointed elders. So Simon, I want to ask you the question, wh why did he do that? What's the point of having elders in a church? The Bible says that, and this, this is picked up in Corinthians in relation to the book of Corinthians in relation to spiritual gifts. It says that God is not a God of disorder, but of order. When you look around the, the world, the things that God has made, and take, for example, the most basic unit of order that God has made, I believe, is the human family. God makes order. He gives a husband and a wife. The scripture talks about the husband being responsible for overtaking or overseeing or caring for his family. 
And that's on the microcosm. And then God explodes that, and he uses it right throughout. He uses it within church. He expects it within human government. And so what God does has a purpose, and the purpose is for the protection and the establishment and the nurturing of people. And he does that by having in the church elders. And so the Bible says that elders should be appointed in every town, every church fellowship. Um, Back in the early days of the church, each town just had one church, just as I was saying, the the church at Ephesus and church of Philadelphia. They only just started. It only had one church. But as the church grew more and more, church fellowships would arise through the growth of the church in those towns, and so more churches would be established. Unfortunately, a lot of new churches are established for the wrong reasons these days. And denominationalism is one of them, where people have differences. Sometimes differences are good, but sometimes differences can be bad too. And so denominationalism has been, I believe, a bit of a curse of the church down through the ages, where it has fractured the church. But the Bible only looks at churches based in little towns and, th- and so on as being established under eldership for the sake of good order. So if you look at... Titus chapter 1 verse 5. Let's look at that for a moment. Titus chapter 1 verse 5. Who's got that? Who wants to read that out for us? No volunteers. No one knows where the book of Titus is. We've got problems. Oh, it looks like Ryan's smiling at me. Okay, go on, Ryan. Yep. Okay, so there you have elders being appointed in every town in Titus chapter 1. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. So now, of course, the book of Acts, we're halfway down the track, a long way down the track, in fact, from the establishment of the church. And you're talking about Paul and Barnabas. Who's got Acts chapter 14 and verse 23 for us? Yes, Michelle. Okay, so Titus chapter 1, verse 5, elders were appointed in every town. Now we're a bit more developed, so we're now in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, and Paul and Barnabas are appointing elders in every church in every town. Does that make sense? Okay. So we've got to note that elders were appointed by God through the apostles, right? So these are appointments that God has made. And in the modern church today, elders should first be recognized before their appointment by the church as being qualified for the role, but they should only ever be appointed and called by God. We're very clear on that. I, I was just thinking on a tangent, sorry, sorry, Simon, but, you know, I think if we had visited some of those very, very early churches and said, what kind of church are you? You ever get that question? You know, that you say, I go to Northern Hills. Oh, what kind of church is that? Meaning, is it Baptist? Is it brethren is it this or is it that i wonder what they would have said they would have said we follow jesus and it's interesting because we were both brought up in a brethren um brethren church and and wow what an awesome thing that has been in our lives but you know fundamentally there shouldn't be any denominations so what is what is northern hills well the best answer i can give is it's it's a church that fundamentally follows the bible and worships the lord jesus christ I, I can't really add any more to that. 
And I think the exciting thing is that we discover as a church that, what that means. Together in the scripture, testing one another. It's exciting. Was I supposed to say something else? I think we should just go on to the next okay, topic. Okay, on to the next thing. All right. Well, the other question then is, is what actually is an elder? We're talking about eldership. What is an elder, and why do we actually have to have them anyway? I mean, what's the point? Can't we just get together each week and, and do our home groups and do everything else and just have a bunch of fun? Why do we need leadership in the church? Can I put that back onto you, Simon? <laughs> well, the elders and the development squad um, this year have been going through a process of um, going through a book on biblical eldership by a man by the name of Alex Straw. Excellent book. And if any, any of you want to read it, I can give you a copy of it. And um, we've been just doing a bit of a study on what eldership means um, because, you know, when I became an elder at the age of 26 um, at Elizabeth Street Chapel and then the Street City Church where I was an elder for almost 20 years and so were you, no one actually really told me a lot about what it was um, to be an elder. I sort of had to grow into the role. And I think that happens a lot too, too often, in fact, um, with people who go into church leadership. Um, and so we've been doing a bit of a study on that and I think it's been really helpful. And I'd like to just read you a section here that relates to that um, book by Alex Straw. It says this, According to the New Testament, elders are responsible for the primary leadership and oversight of a church. The function and role of an elder is well summarized by Alex Straw in his book, Biblical Eldership, which he, in which he says this, Elders, one, lead the church, and you can find that in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, or Titus chapter 1, verse 7. That's the first thing, they lead the church. Secondly, they teach and preach the word, and you can find that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Thirdly, they protect the church from false teachers, and you can find that in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And then they exhort and admonish the church in sound doctrine. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Then they are to visit the sick and to pray for people, and that's in James chapter 5, verse 14. Then they are to judge doctrinal issues. Sometimes there can be issues that come up that people have difficulty dealing with or understanding in the Bible. Well, the, the elders are there to judge those issues. Acts chapter 15, verse 6. In biblical terminology, elders are to shepherd, to oversee, to lead, and to care for the local church. So that's Alex Straw's summary. Awesome, and as Simon said before, we'll hand this out because it's a lot of detail today, but it's a useful summary. Um, we've already mentioned it, but the, the word elder and pastor come up a bit, and I'm going to give you some verses that you can look up yourselves, but suffice to say that the, the eldership and pastor have the same role, and, and in fact, the word pastor is not actually a title, it's actually a function, and we get confused, I think, in the modern church, we give a title called pastor, when actually it means to shepherd. And that's the role of an elder. And when you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse one, it's, uh, verse 11, that's the only time, in fact, in the Bible, the word pastor is used, and it's used in the context of being the same as the group of teachers, to be pastors and teachers, one and the same thing. So it's just something to be aware of, that when we're coming back to the fundamental root of what does leadership in a church look like, it starts with eldership. You're looking at me. Yeah, I was just thinking, I might. <laughs> I, we've got a verse down here which I might just read. It's in yeah. Acts chapter 20. And it says this, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you 
overseers. He's talking to elders. Be shepherds of the church of God. I love this, which he bought with his own blood. Man, if you want to be an elder, you've got to read that because that just shows you how serious the role is. Be shepherds of the church of God. And then it's like he puts in brackets that I bought with my blood. So make sure you do a good job. You know, when Jesus came on the scene, there were a lot of elders, priests, scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. There were all these people that had titles. They didn't really do much for people. Jesus was really harsh on them, wasn't he? He called them whitewashed tombs. Imagine that. Imagine someone goes, Mark, you're a whitewashed tomb. You're full of dead men's bones. He says, like I read before, he said to, to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you don't even lift a finger to help people. And so Jesus was about reality. He was about what shepherds, what pastors, what elders should really be in substance. He's not into titles, and neither are we. We shouldn't be into titles. Titles mean nothing to Jesus. And so can we just look at a couple of scriptures I want to refer you to? And you might want to read these more in your own time. But this is really where we catch the heart of Jesus and what he's trying to do when he establishes elders and churches. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in his harvest field. So there's Jesus in the middle of, you know, um, first century um, Israel, Judaism, and he's looking around saying, you've got all these people walking around with robes on, but they're not shepherding anybody. They're not helping anybody. And so what did Jesus do? He taught people. He healed people. He did all the ministry that these men are supposed to have done. Mark chapter 6 says the same thing in verse 34. It says this, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Do you see that word, Compassion. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus had compassion on people. And I want to suggest to you the most important thing that church leaders, that church elders can have, or leaders of any ministry in a church can have, is compassion or love for people. Amen? That's where it starts. Of course, that's what 1 Corinthians 13 says, doesn't it? That you can do all these great things, but if you have not love, it doesn't mean much. So it was Jesus' compassion that made the difference. And it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. And I just want to say one thing about that. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's a lot of people in the world who don't know the truth. They don't know what you know. Just let that sink in for a minute. As you sit in this place this morning, think about, some of you have been Christians a very short time. Think about what it was like before you knew Jesus. It was dark, wasn't it? It was pretty terrible. You didn't know what was right or wrong. didn't know what was up or down. You didn't know the truth. Do you know there's people all around us every day who need to know what's going on. They need to know the truth. Amen? They need someone to tell them. 
And when Jesus went out and he looked at people, he looked at them like sheep without a shepherd. Shepherd, And you know what he did to address their biggest need? It says that he taught them about God. And he told them parables. Oh, man, I just love the stories that Jesus told because all the truth of God was packed into these stories, wasn't it? A farmer went out to sow the seed. Well, I would have loved to listen to that. I'll tell you what, guys, tell the stories of your life. Tell the truth of the word of God. Pack it up in your testimony and give it as life-giving seed to the people around you. Amen? It's not just the job of elders, but it is our job. It's the job of every one of us to teach the world who Jesus is. You know, you're so right, Simon. People are lonely, eh? We were, um, Janine and I were in Disneyland a few weeks ago, and that's cool. It's good fun. But, you know, we, we sat down on the second day on this bench, sat next to this lady, and um, got talking to her. And she used to go to church. I don't think she goes now, does she, from what she said. Do you know she goes to Disneyland every single Sunday? Except for how many? Two weeks of the year. And she knows every inch of it. She knows everything that goes on. You know why she does that? It's because she's lonely. She goes on her own. And I think from what we could gather, she just enjoyed the the noise of people around her, the, the company of people around her, even though she didn't know people. And that kind of impacted us, eh? We came away thinking, wow. You know, you go one, go one day to Disneyland, great fun. Go two days, yeah, it's pretty cool. Every, every weekend for a year, you know, you've got some deeper issues. But what you're saying, Simon, <laughs> it, man, it might be the happiest place on earth, but after two days, it's not that happy. People need the Lord, eh? It's all that sugar, mate. That's, <laughs> the <thing. laughs> That's right. Can I just digress for a second, though? You know, yes. I know that there's some people who have joined Northern Hills recently, and you might have questions about where it came from and stuff. And just briefly, when we started Northern Hills seven or eight years ago now, it was on our hearts. It was Joe and Janine and some others. And, and we were conscious, though, that we needed outside input because it's pretty uh, dangerous, I think, just to say, let's start a church and, and go for it. So you might notice that from time to time we have some older people come through Northern Hills and they, they minister to the leadership outside of Sunday. We spend time with them. And they, they speak into Northern Hills, they speak into the leadership, and they come and minister here. So people like Ian Garrett, remember Ian's been before, David Reese thomas um, David Harrison uh, in the early days, and some other people too that we really reach out to. So I think it's important that as a church we know that that happens, that we, we have those people who actually ha- ask the really hard questions too and occasionally flick us an email or give us a call at work and say, what's going on, how are you guys going? So that's just good to know. When, that's right. So <clears throat> we've got to be careful what we talk about here. So when Jesus established the church, he started with the disciples, and after his resurrection, they became apostles. Apostles means sent of God, right? So they were, especially with a capital A, they were the apostles of the early church. Now, there's no capital A apostles left anymore. They, was, they were established, to establish, set up by the, the Lord, and picked, handpicked by him, including Paul, who met Jesus on the Damascus Road, and there was a there was certain criteria that were measured against what an apostle had to be. It had to be someone who had seen Jesus um, face to face, and it had a commission directly from him. So the the apostles were the capital A. They were a special group, and of course God used them to write the New Testament. And uh, so we don't claim to have any ca- apostles with a capital A anymore. That was 
that was for that time. But I want to take your, draw your attention, please, to a book or a, a verse in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Can we just turn to that for a moment? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And this is talking about the ongoing church for all time. Does someone want to read that verse for us, please? Yes, Anawi. Keep going, verse 12. Okay, so Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, gave some people to be apostles also with a little a, pastors, teachers, evangelists. And we see people like Ian Garrett, David Rees Thomas, probably Neville Bartley and others who come in as having a role. And they, these men, are you can see it on their lives. They are set up by the Lord and they travel around New Zealand, they travel around the globe, they are men of the word, they themselves have been elders in their own churches and pastors and so on. And they come in and they bring a breath of fresh air. And they are like a check and a balance for us. And that's a healthy thing. Amen? And so we see, um, and we believe it's important that people like that have a role to play. Um, and that's biblical. Simon, I know that when we look at the word elder, we've got a lot of notes here, which I don't think we'll get through today because there's different... Um, different attributes, maybe we could use that word, of eldership. And I wonder if you could just start us off taking through some of those. Okay, there, there are four Greek words in the New Testament. Now, I know you're, gonna, you're probably studying Greek. We don't want to learn Greek. Well, actually, it's, it is quite important because they all have different meaning, and I just want to really touch on these very quickly. Four Greek words in the New Testament to refer to elders. The first is prostatis, which is the word ruler, which means a leader someone who leads, and um, it, it's, uh, it's a word that's used um, in the New Testament on a number of occasions, and it, it means to assist, to join with, to protect, to represent, to care for, to help, to stand before as a defender, to be a guardian or a protector. Um, so if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, it says that a, a bishop or an elder must be one that rules, that's that word, his own house well, and because he is able to look after his own house, he can then look after the church of God. So um, it, it's also found in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, which says, let the elders that rule that same word, prostatus, protect, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine, in other words, those who teach. So that's the first word. In Greek, the second word is, word is bishop. Now, this gets a lot of confusion out there. A lot of people, Mark, think, well, a bishop is then you know, higher than a pastor or higher than an elder. It's like a hierarchy. No, no, no. Now, a bishop, it's the word episkopos in the Greek, which simply means an overseer, someone who is an overseer, who looks upon or considers or cares. But, so all elders are bishops. They are episkopos. And um, this word occurs about six, six times in the Bible with virtually no contextual clues into its meaning other than what I've just told you. Um, and uh, in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, it says that Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas bishoped the churches they had established. They looked after them. They cared for them. 
So that's that word. Then this other word that we've just been talking about, Mark, is the word poimino, which is the word pastor. And that means a shepherd, one who feeds or leads or guides or, or cares. And it's found, as Mark just said, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. But very interesting. You remember the story when Jesus was reestablishing Peter after he fell and he was walking down the beach with him? And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Jesus said to him two things. He said, feed, which is the um, Greek word boske, my lambs. And then he says, take care of, which is the word pastor, my sheep. So Jesus said to Peter, I want you to be a pastor, Peter. And I want you to be an example for all the other elders that you're to look after. Now, Jesus is the great shepherd. He is the high shepherd. He is the, 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 sh- the great shepherd that we all know is um, our Lord and Savior, but we are, as elders, under shepherds. We are under him, and we are supposed to look after the people. So that's the, the third one. And then finally, this world, word elder is actually the word presbyteros, which is the word elder. And it's one that actually means an older person, usually, and that comes from what we're discussing about the Old Testament. And over time, what would happen is in the Jewish society, these men would get older and they'd be wiser. And so they would be recognized and they'd often sit at the city gate and people would come to them uh, in, in some Jewish towns. And if they had a dispute, they'd go to the elders and they'd say, well, we have a problem. We, we don't have a judge. So can you tell us what the answer should be? So um, that's the understanding of the word elder. Um, yeah, I, I could go on, but I'll leave it. You have to be old to be an elder? You know, you don't. You don't. You might think that looking at... No, I'm just joking. <laughs> we are. Um, if you look at um, the early church, a lot of these guys were relatively young. Obviously, Timothy was very young, um, and he was um, in a very high position in the church as a young man, and he was told not to despise his youth. I was um, made an elder when I was 26, think you're about the same. Um, and so it's, it's really um, more important that we look at the qualifications for eldership. Now, we need to finish with this because we're over time, sure. but this is the last point probably we should look at. Yeah. So can, we, can someone look up 1 Timothy chapter 3? 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7. If someone can read that out, that would be awesome. Thanks, Dan. That's cool. So that's that's the list, and there's other lists in the Bible too. But what a list that is, by the way. Man, if any of us went through that list and and said, "Yeah, we measure up," well, I think we'd all be uh, telling a fib, to be honest. But you know, as you as you look and say, "Who who is God's hand on at the moment to be an elder, to be a leader 
in the church. That's the criteria to, to look at, to say, is this person where you're at? And that's one that, in, as part of the development team and eldership for the last year, we've been going through that, haven't we, Tegan? And we've been you know, really saying, where do we all measure up with that? Um, what, are, what are the aspects God is needing to work on in each of our lives? Because you won't get to a point where you're like, great, I'm ready to be a leader or an elder. No, it's a continual thing in the, the rest of your life by God's grace. So what a, what a test that is. So when we, uh, in a few weeks, you know, talk about some guys who might potentially be elders, we need to say, where are these guys at? You know, wh- where do we sense God is working in their life? They don't have to be perfect by any chance, otherwise there wouldn't be any elders.